0: June thank you choir. Good morning again, everyone. <clears throat> Excuse me. I hope I'm not coughing like that all through the sermon of so I apologize. Somewhere along the line, Christianity became a story about us and a story about what we do for God. And with that has come the steady decline of the joy of being a believer in Jesus Christ. Christianity is actually a story, it's the story, about this man named Jesus and what he did for us and for God, his Father. It's about his accomplishments, his obedience, his sufficiency, his perfection. These I Am statements that we've been studying make something very clear. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus is the center of it all. And this morning, we come to the last one in this series on Jesus in His own words. I know it's Palm Sunday, and this isn't technically a Palm Sunday text, but it's a Jesus text, and Palm Sunday is about Jesus, so ergo, right? It's a Palm Sunday sermon, right? (laughs) This last statement, which, like the one last week, was spoken the night before Jesus died, is meant to give joy. It's meant to give joy to those that believe in Jesus. This is, a, this is very good news, this text. Very good news. Next week we celebrate His resurrection. And the resurrection is not only God's stamp of approval on the life and the death of Jesus. It's also God's verification that everything Jesus Christ ever said is absolutely true. And the things that Jesus said have everything to do with us and where we are right now in our own lives. What does Jesus really want from us? What's the main thing that we're supposed to do? How do you and I take hold of what Jesus promises to us in this text? Where does the believer's joy ultimately come from? Does it come from being able to measure or track our progress? Does the fullness of joy that Jesus wanted us to have come only when we've proven ourselves? The source of the believer's joy is not one's performance for God or commitment to God, but is the cleansing word of Jesus Christ that grafts us all the way in to the true vine where it's guaranteed that we will glorify God. If you're able, would you please stand as we read from God's word in John chapter 15 verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Our Father, you know us. You know everyone here. And I pray that this morning your Son would speak through his word, that we might know you. Teaches what it means to abide as remaining in Jesus is the only way to know the joy He came to give us. Help me preach, Father, the truth of this message clearly, so that by the power of Your Holy Spirit all might understand. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. There are two foundations under this text that we have to see before we... Dive into the explanation. And the first is the I am statement itself from Jesus. It's there twice. Verse 1 and verse 5. This last one, the last I am statement is unique among all of them because Jesus attaches the Father to it. We have Jesus as the vine and the Father as the vine dresser. The person who prunes or trains and cultivates vines. God the Father is a vine dresser. Jesus Christ his son is the vine. That connection. Between the two of them is crucial for our proper understanding of the text and our own identity here. This statement is not one Jesus uses just for the sake of a good metaphor. When Jesus reveals that he is the true vine, you see him make that distinction here. I am the true vine. In other words, there's a false vine out there somewhere. Jesus is the true vine. When he says this, he's saying something that has historical significance for salvation. In the Old Testament, the vine was a symbol for the nation of Israel, God's old covenant people. In Isaiah 5, God described Israel as his vineyard, but as one that failed to bear the proper fruit. It was an indictment when he called them that. In Jeremiah 2, Israel was described as a degenerate and a wild vine. In the Old Testament, when Israel is referred to as the vine... It's, it's to call out its failure to produce good fruit for God and to call out the threat of God's judgment because of that, because they didn't bear fruit. Again, God, it turns out in John 15, is a vine dresser. He means to have a fruit bearing vine and there wasn't one. So even though Israel had the law to guide it, she did not bear fruit that was pleasing to God. In fact, in Psalm 80, we hear the prayer for a son to come out of this vineyard of Israel that would be able to bear fruit that is pleasing to God. So when Jesus calls Himself the true vine, who is also the son of the vine dresser, it's a biblically loaded statement. He is the fulfillment of Scripture here. He's the one to whom Israel, as a son of God, was pointing to all along. He's the one they longed for. He's the one that produces good fruit. In John's Gospel, by the time you get to John 15, Jesus has already superseded the temple. He superseded all the Jewish feasts and Moses, all the various holy sites. And now, Jesus supersedes Israel as the place where God's people will dwell. He is where God's people reside because He is the true vine. So everything we read here has its foundation in the fact that whoever then is actually in Jesus will bear fruit because Jesus is the true vine. So just as the entire ethnic race of Israel sprang out of the patriarch Jacob and failed to bear fruit, The new covenant people of God, both Jew and Gentile, are the branches that grow out of the true vine and actually bear fruit. They are connected to Him. That's the ministry in the broader context of the Holy Spirit in John 14-16, to dwelling inside every branch that is on this vine. That was not the case of the members of the old covenant. Jesus did something no one else had ever done or could ever do for God, perfectly bear all the fruit that was pleasing to Him. So that's the first foundation in this text here, the sufficiency and uniqueness of Jesus as the one and only true vine. The second foundation is the application of the metaphor itself. How are we meant to understand Jesus' words here? Beloved, context is everything when we read the bible it's it's in real estate it's location 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 in the bible it is context 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 if we use this text then to try to explain things it's not talking about as in whether or not a person can lose his or her salvation again we're asking too much of the metaphor nowhere is that the point of this text that's a trap that those kinds of things are a trap that we tend to fall into because we focus on systematic theology. In other words, we create these categories, these systems in Scripture. We impose them on the text as though we know what God wanted to prioritize. Right? It would be like me writing a love letter to my wife and, and somebody getting it and saying, now this is what he wanted to emphasize. This is what matters the most to him. This is what he wanted to do, when in reality you couldn't know that. We try to squeeze every text into certain categories as though that's like a task we have to perform when we're the ones that created the categories. And it's not that they're all wrong. That's not my point. There is, I understand the need for systematizing and understanding themes. I, I, I get all that. But I'm saying we, we do need to approach the text with humility when we're the ones that have decided these are the categories. I hope that makes sense. The purpose of this metaphor here of vine and vine dresser, branches and fruit, is not to settle the dispute about whether people can lose their salvation. One of its main points is to say, as a statement of fact, that there is no such thing as a Christian who never bears fruit. But even that is a statement about the quality of the true vine. It's not a statement about the work, ultimately, of the branches. There's no command here to bear fruit. The command is elsewhere, and we'll get to it. Jesus' point here is not about who is in and who is out. His point here is that He is the true vine. That's the foundation of this text. And because Jesus is the true vine, fruitfulness will now be true forever. Every member of the covenant community, every branch, every believer, without exception. Because that was not true of the false vine. That was not true of the old covenant community when Jesus was not the vine. This is a statement about what Jesus does as the vine, much more than it's a statement about what the branches need to be doing. He's revealing himself to us. Remember, Jesus is revealing himself to us through these I am statements. They aren't statements ultimately about what we do. They're statements about who he is and what he does. Notice in the text, the alternative to a fruitful branch is a dead branch. Right? And no branch that is in Jesus as the vine could ever be dead. Or he wouldn't be a good vine. If there's a true branch, it's pruned. It's not cut off. So if there was a question here, it would be an identity issue. It would be whether or not a branch was ever actually in the vine. Not if it's, if are there vines that don't, you know, could you not bear fruit but still be on the vine? Now there were ethnic branches in Jesus, in verse 2, that never bore fruit by virtue of the fact that Jesus, the true vine, is an Israelite. Right, so the branches in Jesus in verse 2 that never bore fruit were ethnic Israelite branches because Jesus is also an Israelite and He's the true vine. So ethnically speaking, there were branches in Him that never bore fruit. They are taken away. They aren't, that's not loser Christians that get taken away. These are ethnic members of a vine that did not bear fruit for God. Not, of course, and again, that doesn't include every Israelite. It's speaking of them as a covenant community. And those non-fruit bearing branches, they do get taken away. But the branches that are in Jesus by grace through faith, as we see in verses four through 10, they never get thrown away. They get pruned back so that they keep producing fruit. So, there are two foundations here. The complete sufficiency and utter uniqueness of Jesus as the true vine, and what He can accomplish because He is that, and the purpose of the metaphor, that every branch in the true vine will bear fruit for God, which is good news, because we just found out that God is a vine dresser. Now, we will help ourselves a great deal in understanding the implications of all that Jesus is saying here, by identifying the point of Him saying all of it. That can help us navigate it and say, okay, that was His point and that comes down in verse 11. That's the point of all this. Jesus says these things so that their joy would be full. Not so we could question and doubt and evaluate and be afraid. That is not the point of the text. The point of the text is our joy, beloved. What Jesus says here is meant to bring joy to His people, not fear. The fact that Jesus is the true vine who guarantees that His branches will bear fruit is a source of joy for us, church. Believer, whether or not you will ever bear fruit for God is a question of what vine you're attached to. It's not a question of your skill or your ability or your talent or your pedigree or your dedication level or your track record nothing worldly or fleshly is the source of our usefulness to the body of Christ nothing this text identifies a rhythm it does a rhythm in which we're meant to live a rhythm of abiding and bearing fruit resting and working We abide in Jesus Christ and His unfailing love for us. And from there we live and bear fruit. Believers work from rest. We do not rest from work. Life for us is rest. Fruit bearing results from resting. Fruit bearing results from abiding, not from working. The Spirit is doing the production, beloved, not us. Not us, but many of us live backwards. We live out of rhythm. It's go, 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 go. And God, bless what I'm doing as I go. Go, 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 go. go. Work, 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 work. Please help me, right? Please bless this. Please multiply this. And then, okay, I need a break. The call is not to work. And then rest when the opportunity finally presents itself. The call is, abide in me, and you'll bear fruit. That's the way. Right? That's the way. You want to bear fruit? Abide in me. Notice this is in the text about spiritual growth. You see that. That, That's not what it is. Because spiritual growth is not the same thing as bearing fruit. Sometimes we mistake spiritual growth for the fruit itself, but we have to grow before we can bear fruit in this metaphor. Right? Grapevines are... Prune back and force not to bear fruit. Sometimes for two or three years so that their root systems can get established. Growth has to happen before fruit can be produced. In the first century when Jesus lived, to grow grapes, a vine would be cultivated, planted, left to grow for three years before being allowed to bear fruit. And every time it tried to produce a bunch of grapes, it would be cut back. Then after the third year, The grapes would be allowed to grow on their own when the branch was strong enough to bear the weight of the grapes. Then after the harvest, they were pruned back again to rest and get nourished before the growing season started again. You you see that in the life of Jesus even. He would go out, He would pull back. He would go out, He would pull back. That design is given to us for our faith according to this text. That's why it works that way with grapes. Isn't God amazing? It's to understand how we're meant to live. This is for our joy. God is telling us something here for our joy. Abide in Christ. Remain. Stay right there. That's all it means to abide. Right. That's all it means to abide. Stay where you are. Don't move from believing the beautiful truth of His love for us in the Gospel. Stay right there. Jesus is the source. He is the vine. We are the branches. From this, out of that, then, we will bear fruit. We work. God prunes us. Now, that may be painful. When God is pruning a person or pruning a church, it can be painful. It might last longer than we think it should. It may be in the form of difficulty or transition or suffering. All that can be pruning. But in that we are growing. We are not dying when that's happening. We're growing. We aren't withering. Again, the hands of the vine dresser are closest to the branch when he is pruning it. We start to struggle and we start fighting it when we're getting pruned. God, I, I, this this can't be coming from you. I must have done something wrong. I must be doing something wrong. That's why things are getting difficult for me. Maybe that's why I'm being pruned. So we come up with all these ways to get around it and reject it. I, I declare this problem is over in the name of Jesus. Don't, okay, all right. Okay, that's, that's fine. That's fine. When God is pruning us, He is cutting us back so that we get close to the vine again so that we get close to Jesus because that's where we belong. That is where we will glorify Him. This is His rhythm for us. Abide and bear fruit. Abide and bear fruit. Jesus describes bearing fruit in this text as what branches just do when they're connected to the true vine. You notice that. They don't bear fruit by working to press out a grape. They bear fruit by being connected to the vine. Bearing fruit is what comes naturally for the believer as we are abiding in Christ. It is not the result of frantic work and effort. So beloved, if we aren't bearing fruit, it is not a work problem. It's not a deficiency of activity. It's an abiding problem. It's a deficiency of being close to Jesus. We can actually cloud out the truth of what Jesus has already done for us in the gospel with our activity and our striving and our busyness. Which, by the way, if we're just packing on and packing on, if we were a literal branch, that would mean we were too overgrown to support a single grape, let alone a whole bunch. But what do we do when we feel like we aren't close to Jesus? What do we do? We assume it's a work problem. We assume it's a commitment problem. A time problem. I gotta get more committed. No, no, no. Jesus is not your employer. Jesus is your husband, believer. Right? He's our husband. There's a relationship here. Work will need to be done. But work is never a cure for spiritual despair. The the, the cure is always to dive deeper into the truth of the gospel. Don't mistake this feeling of satisfaction you get from accomplished task as abiding in the vine. Right? People can feel that with no thought for God whatsoever when they work and finish something and they feel good about it because they did something. The gospel is not that. That's not completed tasks, feeling good because I did something. That's not where the comfort comes from when we're talking about the gospel. No. Don't cure your soul with work. Abide. It's so counterintuitive. It's so counterintuitive. And Jesus talked like this his entire earthly ministry. I don't want what you have. I'm going to satisfy my father. I'm going to offer up to my father what he requires. You need to grab onto the hems of my garment and hang on. That's the ministry of Jesus. We won't stay healthy in our souls if we live outside that rhythm Outside the design of abiding. Because Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. That's how this is set up. That means we are not the producers. We are the product, beloved. There are certain realities for branches if Jesus Christ is the vine on which they're growing. Don't turn this text into something about us. That's that's what we do. That's our disease. This is about the quality and power and sufficiency of the true vine, Jesus Christ. This is a statement from Jesus that God's covenant people will absolutely bear fruit for God, the vine dresser. So the response from us needs to be to the text, okay, let's get close to Jesus then. Let's abide. Now, if you've come to define yourself or your commitment to God by your activity for Him, then abiding and resting will not sound like the gifts that they are. Abiding will, ironically, be very unrestful for you if you think God needs you to work for Him. And that's how you kind of prove, yes, you're saved by grace, but you need to earn your keep. You need to prove that it wasn't a bad investment on His part. Do you imagine if a marriage was set up that way? Beloved, God already has a fruitful vine. We aren't it. We're branches on it. He may need to prune us back or prune back our assumption that if we aren't busy, we aren't faithful. Right? That if we aren't so stacked up with tasks we don't barely have time to breathe, then we must be slacking in our commitment to Christ. Have you ever just rested In your walk with Christ, why do you think God designed our bodies to need to shut down and do nothing for a third of our day? You know, it's it's not just metabolic that we need to sleep. It's God reminding you, "I can handle it without you." That's what sleep is. You go ahead and accomplish nothing. Christ will be building the church, right? Oh, that's hard to take. It's hard to take. It's hard when you're used to busyness to not have anything really going on, right? It feels deficient. It feels off. We all know people like this in life. I just can't relax. There's people that that like when, when you have guests over to their house, they can't just sit down. They have to be cleaning and dusting and fixing. Let me get that place. Me, you know, I mean, there's, there, it's okay. That's a personality trait. It's not a character evaluation. I'm saying that we see this. It, resting is not intuitive. There's work to be done. Yeah. And it will get done. It will get done. I think it's dangerous when we don't know any way to have a quality relationship with Jesus unless we're doing things. Because that doesn't jive with my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Somebody said that somewhere. Right? I wonder if it was the true vine that said that. Beloved, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is that what your life as a believer feels like? Again, that doesn't mean there aren't things to be done. It means they were never meant to be work by which you were proving to God that you're a fruit bearer. That happens because you abide in the true vine. That's not semantics. We are weary people. If the yoke isn't easy, and the burden isn't light, it isn't Jesus Christ. Abide. Just abide. You will bear fruit. Right? You will bear fruit. We're not saying the fruit won't come. We're saying, Jesus is saying, yeah, abide and you'll bear fruit. Trust the Lord in this. Trust the Lord in this. In other words, make abiding your focus, not your work. The fruit will happen. Leave it in the hands of the vine dresser. Beloved, notice this. Branches don't work to make themselves acceptable to the vine. In verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Oh man, do you hear that text and the implications of Jesus saying that? Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's what the Gospel does. Cleanses us. Grafts us into the vine. We aren't gonna infect it. We aren't gonna bring it down. We aren't gonna be a gap in what Jesus Christ wants to accomplish. The call from Jesus here is, I have saved you. I have cleansed you. Now stay. Stay right there. Stay in that lane. Keep believing. I'll make you fruitful. I'll take care of that. Focus on abiding. Not on bearing fruit. It it will be backwards. Focus on abiding. We need to know who we are and we are not the vine. In verse 5, in verse 1, Jesus is the vine. Our identity is branch. If we detach ourselves from Jesus, if we're not abiding... We can accomplish nothing which means what is considered fruit is decided by the vine dresser, not by us. We can call anything ministry. Anything. We we can call anything fruit and feel very pleased, but we aren't the vine dresser. Branches don't walk around, you know, grape bushels deciding whether or not one is a quality branch. Right? That's not what branches do. There's a vine dresser who wanders all around the vine, does all the work. What is the key in verse five to bearing much fruit for God? because that's what we want to do. It's not a wrong desire. that's what we want to do. The spirit is inside of us. but what's the key in verse five to bearing much fruit for God, abiding in Jesus? That's the key. Not the work we think will bear fruit. Abiding in Jesus is how you bear fruit. So be still. Be still. Let the vine dresser and the vine do all the work. You be a branch. Listen to Jesus. Our need to be busy doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean that's what's right. We don't find what is right and true inside ourselves. We are just branches. Right? We stay stuck on the vine. So God has a set specific design for us to bear fruit that glorifies Him and it doesn't come from our sweat. It comes from abiding in His Son. So we, you, 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 you just like, you, you just abide? Yep. Yeah. And you'll bear fruit. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Now, this whole being a Christian thing might actually take some faith instead of work. Right? Now that might start to make sense. In verses 6 and 7, there's no such thing as a branch on this vine that isn't connected to Jesus. If one is not in Jesus, there's no salvation, much less any fruit bearing. But to abide in Jesus, which we find is centered on having His words abide in you, His cleansing words, specifically in verse 3, the gospel, to abide in Jesus is to be so close that there's no fruit you wouldn't be able to bear. We have to see verse 7 in context then. It isn't a verse about getting Cadillacs and money and health. It's not what verse 7 is It's the context, it's in the context of being a branch on the true vine who can't not bear fruit for God. Just be that close. Do you ever feel the weight as a believer of wanting to glorify God and not being sure that anything you do ever will? Look at verse eight. Let me read verse eight again. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, if verses 1 through 7 are true, that's not a challenge. It's a statement from Jesus about His branches. You see that? That That's, that's not a challenge. That's a statement of what is true. How do you... The Father who is the vine dresser will finally be glorified by His covenant people. That's what this text is telling us. So how do you prove that you're a disciple? You abide. You believe. You abide. Verse 8 is a statement about what is going to happen with the branches since Jesus is the true vine. The one that produces that which brings God glory. Fruit bearing branches. And how do they become that? Well, He cleaned them with His Word and grafted them in. And it's done. It's finished. It's accomplished. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That isn't a weight of responsibility. Abide in my love. What are actually commands here is very important. Considering verse 10, which we'll be at in a moment. But being told to abide in his love. We've we've talked about this, I think, once before. This is not a weight of responsibility. That's not a burden. Would you consider it a burden if somebody walked up to you and said, here is $1 billion, and I want you to spend it however and whenever you want. No strings attached. Twist my arm. I guess, if you say so, right? Driving to St. Clairsville because that's the only Taco Bell that still serves chili cheese burritos. I'm buying a mess of chili cheese burritos if I get a million dollars with no strings attached. (laughs) No problem to spend that money, right? Jesus is telling his disciples here, who still have hearts troubled by fear and doubt, remember that. Still the night before he died... Peter's just found out he's going to deny his Lord three times. I think Peter isn't worried about whether he'll ever be able to bear fruit for God or abide on the vine. He's terrified. He's terrified. That they're, they're all about to forsake him and flee. Jesus is telling them in the midst of their troubled hearts and fear and guilt over things they haven't even done yet, Do you realize how much I love you? So the night before he died, do you guys even realize, Jesus is saying, how much I love you? I love you like the Father loves me, and he really loves me, because I do everything he says, and I transfer it all to you, that you become a people that bring him glory. You are irrevocably loved. Live in that. Abide in that. You 21st century disciples, you abide in that love. You take it to the bank. Soak in it. Just soak in it. That's what we need to do, beloved. We love As you read verse 10, then, even verse 10 has to be read in context, doesn't it? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is Jesus now contradicting everywhere else that He and the Bible have taught that you can't earn God's love by your works? Is He contradicting that? Because that would be... One way to read the verse. And that's how we usually read the verse. Like, this is a conditional statement with a warning. It's not. It's not. Is Jesus now saying, if you keep My commandments, you'll abide in My love? That sounds like a threat. Like, like the implication is, if you don't keep My commandments, you won't abide in the Father's love. Beloved, what are the commands? In verses 1 through 11. Abide in me. Abide in my love. In verse 10 is a command to believe the word he has spoken that has already made us clean. Verse 3. Words matter. Abide in me and you'll abide in love. This is why we we can take Jesus seriously when He tells us in His Word, My commandments are not burdensome. How are they not burdensome? Because they're not how you get cleansed. They're not saving you. Your obedience to them does not save you. This is a command to abide where Jesus has grafted you into himself because there you are loved with a perfectly redeeming, sanctifying, keeping, cleansing, unending love. Beloved, that's an invitation to do what he just said. Abide in his love. Abide in him. Because if verse 10 means you keep up your end of the bargain or you're out, then verse 11 makes no sense. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Imagine me saying to one of my children, If you love me, you'll do what I say. And if you don't, I won't love you in return. I told you that so that you would be happy. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Beloved, the gospel is that good. We stand on it. We stand on it. And we don't fall. Because Christ is holding us up. You abide. He loves you. Stay right there. Stay right there. You'll bear fruit. There's no question. The work will get done. Don't worry about it. And you'll be a part of it. Don't worry about it. Look, it's hard enough just to believe, and 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 we're trying to fix that by working. Like if I get more committed, my belief will go up. If if that's how your personality works, that that could be the case, I, I guess. But for most of us, I think we, we over the years you you just get worn down. Like you just get worn down because there are always problems popping up and things that need to be done. And it's like at some point you would think we would question our long-standing belief that you need to get more committed. No. Jesus is committed. Abide in Him. The work will get done. And something else will happen if we abide in Him. We'll start to realize what is worthwhile work and what isn't. Because we'll see with spiritual eyes. We'll see with faith. Not sight. These eyes don't work. Don't trust them. Don't trust them. Not everything that looks like a need is a need. And we're only gonna know the difference the closer we are to Christ. This is good news. This is, this is only a burden if you love to justify yourself by your work. That's the only way this is a burden. And I don't, I'm not being mean to you if you're like that. But I want you to be free from that. I want you to, I want to be free from that. I want you to be free from that. Like Jesus did this amazing thing 2000 years ago and we're all still trying to contribute. Just let it be. Just let it be. This is an invitation to rest. Beloved, what's the source of the believer's joy? It's not the work one does. You see, we're not, the, 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 the gospel doesn't work like the world. In the world, you feel accomplished by what you accomplish. You find your value in what you do. You find a lack of value when you're not a great worker, right? When you can't produce how other people can produce, you you feel like you've lost value. I read an article this last week that was heartbreaking uh, about a girl, Kate Catlin, I believe was her name. I might be wrong on that. But she was an Olympic cyclist, an Olympic medalist in the 2016 Games. She committed suicide a few months back. Her family found in her things this code that she lived by they didn't even know about. That, that That clearly stated that if she didn't become a gold medalist cycler if she didn't become an excellent i think she was uh, uh some type of analyst or or, or programmer if she didn't become excellent at that then she she refused she written down in her code in her little diary that she will never be in a relationship. Because that will take away from her ability to accomplish she 'll have to focus on love and caring for that person, and that would weigh her down she 's twenty three years old she killed herself and and the heartbreaking part of it, although the the whisper of the gospel in it and i, I don 't know that the family were believers or not that that 's really not relevant there 's a whisper of the gospel here, her sister. Put in her coffin a letter. I don't want to get choked up. It's not my story. It said, I love you without all your accomplishments. That is what it always has been, is, and will be forever that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says to you and I, little sheep and little branches all. He loves us without our accomplishments. How can it be? Ever wonder why churches sing when they get together? That's why. There's a song. What is the source of the believer's joy? Not the work one does not the performance, not the busyness, not the level of commitment. The source of the believer's joy is the once for all cleansing word of the vine through which the keeping love of God makes us fruitful that we might glorify Him. My joy comes from the fact (laughs) that God provides in His Son everything he requires from me in order for me to be saved and kept forever. Jesus is inviting you to come close to him through his cleansing word this morning. I say that to the believer, I say it to the unbeliever. And not just to visit, but to abide That is what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. If you look down in that chapter in verse 26, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. That's what He's doing. We are kept in the vine. We are kept in the vine by the ongoing work of God, the Holy Spirit, to reveal Jesus to us through the truth given to us in His Word. We don't even make ourselves abide. The Spirit does. So, just it's a matter of focus. Take the focus off your work. Take the focus off your effort. Stop thinking that if you don't do it, it won't get done. Jesus Christ will build His church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Therefore, your inability, your lack, your deficiencies can't prevail against it. Again, it's, we don't want to, it's, it's comfort. It's comfort. That's, I mean, we, we need to put our focus on Christ. We need to be consumed with abiding, not with bearing fruit. One will happen if the other is present. One won't happen if the other is present. Isn't present. There's a rhythm God has established and we're not free to change it. Abide and bear fruit. There's no bearing fruit that glorifies God without abiding in His Son. There's no fruit that glorifies God without abiding in His Son. Beloved, this is a call to abide. It's not a burden. There is love in Him. There is joy in Him. There's peace in Him, even in the midst of this world. We were grafted into the vine in order to be loved. Why spurn that to try to prove that we're lovable through our works? Christian, you will bear fruit. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you can do or not do. You will bear fruit text to say you'll bear grapes not all fruit will look the same you'll bear fruit and you'll bear as much as god wants you to bear when and how god wants you to bear it do not be afraid when you hear the bible say bear fruit that shows repentance has taken place when you hear that you need to hear it believer as a branch you don't need to hear that as a threat that makes you afraid And makes you frantic to prove you're really saved. A vine has arisen for God that bore fruit. You're a branch on Him. So focus on the fact that you're saved. That you belong to the one who has satisfied God on your behalf. That Jesus Christ has cleansed you and accepted you and saved you and given you His perfect righteousness. God has grafted you into the fruit-bearing, God-glorifying, true vine, forever. That is your standing. That is your guarantee. Jesus Christ didn't just die for you. He lived for you. Not just your sins are fully forgiven, but your failures to live righteously are fully performed for you by Jesus Christ. This is salvation. All your sin is taken away. All your righteousness is provided. All by one. Christ, the true vine. The only vine. Get to know Him. Stop obsessing over everything else. Get to know Jesus. Abide. The invitation to come to Jesus then, now, is not an invitation to prove to God that you're worthy of His love through your behavior. It's the invitation to repent of all your sins. All of them. And have the full forgiveness that Jesus' blood provides applied personally to you for what you have done and not done. And it is to be set free from any necessity to impress God or win Him over by your behavior and instead accept the perfect righteous work of Jesus on your behalf, which is yours through his resurrection. June is going to come and play. I'll be down front as we close. I invite you to come to Jesus. I invite you to come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that you've given to us. I thank you for the patience of everyone in this room. I know this has been longer than a normal Sunday morning. But God, I pray that your Son will now write on every heart the truth of the Word that cleanses and grafts us in and keeps us and secures us. Lord, we've been called to abide in your love. May that be our hope and our prayer and our salvation. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, the true vine. Amen. Amen. for being here this morning, everyone. It's it's pouring down the rain, so be careful as you go. Driving, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we praise you for this time you've given to us. We praise you for the person and the work of your perfect son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.